Hey everyone, MJ from the Editing Bay here. Um, what you're about to hear is the full two and a half minute version of the song Tiger Shark, which is the song my wonderful wife wrote for the theme song to the podcast. Um, you won't hear the full song every week, but it is such a good song that we had to do it at least once in its entirety because we really wanted you guys to hear this she worked really hard on it emil kenny cody all the other musicians they all worked really hard on it so we wanted to get that to you in its entirety before going forward to just a snippet of it if you would like to purchase the song and help pay for the cost of producing the song you can go to phantom stranger inc inc dot bandcamp.com and you can purchase a song i believe it's 99 cents maybe a dollar 29 something like that for um the download it is a banger so uh support them if there's any other artists you like around there support phantom stranger they're local to me uh a record label and i've worked closely with them in the past uh, usually doing concert production stuff and i know it's kind of hard to do that right now so yeah, uh, without further ado, here is Tiger Shark by Kristen Falls. I saw you hanging up on a hook. I was curious, so I took a look. A serious talk right in front of me. I looked around so that I could see. Is it a tiger? Is 
Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast that goes through Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, one minute at a time, or thereabouts. I'm MJ Smith. And I am Sarah Buddery, and we are also joined by a very special guest today. Welcome to the show, Andy Godian. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. We are delighted to have you, and you were one of the first people that uh, reached out to me when I put a tweet out and was like, anyone want to come on and talk about (laughs) Jaws? So um, do you want to tell us um, what it is you love so much about this film, and just anything that was this particular moment that you wanted to talk about? Obviously, we'll go into it in depth real soon, but um, Mm -hmm. yeah, what what you love about the film and and why this scene you wanted to talk about. Um, Like, I'm sure... kind of gone over on the podcast many times before but this is like just one of those films where it's very hard to find anybody who doesn't like it everybody has a has a story about Jaws seeing it for the first time or just has a deep love for it even if you're not super into cinema at all I think you'll find it very hard to find somebody who doesn't like Jaws and for for me in particular I grew up on a small island uh shout out to the Channel Island of Alderney um so it was very much a film that kind of stoked my imagination quite easily being able to uh imagine what it'd be like if a giant shark just suddenly decided to come and uh terrorize a small peaceful town was a uh, something that wasn't too far too far flung for me to wrap my head around even from a young age so i have a question about that then is mm-hmm. that based on you know where you grew up versus the dynamic we see in Jaws, is that something that you could see happening, playing out the way it does in the film? Um, as far as, like, the dynamic of the people on the island and town governance and all that. Yeah, so with Jaws being, like, focused around the 4th of July weekend, in Alderney, the first week of August is this week-long uh, celebration of the island, basically, called Alderney Week. That, like, mm-hmm. so there's big parties every year and, like, the population of the island will double maybe even triple with like holiday homeowners coming over or just people coming over to check out the island for the first time so having that kind of like and seeing those sort of divides between the people who are like holiday homeowners and people who are islanders and the kind of like weird little parlance they'll have amongst each other and just little quirks as well is something I always quite look at Jaws and be like oh yeah I can recognize those kind of fishermen from down at the harbor or I can recognize when like particularly with uh, police officers they tend to come off from either other islands or from UK so you do get that like slight sense of like well you don't even come from here so what what should we do listen to you listen to you when you're a a teenager out on out on the streets sometimes interesting okay so like it sounds like then a lot of this kind of resonates with you and i think we've, we've spoken about it previously actually that like neither of us have really had that that idea of the you know they talk a lot about like being an islander and what mm. that means and this sort of like fairly insular community so i feel like you're gonna bring a lot to the table here andy I'm <laughs> very excited to have you on for that reason island um, boy perspective here we go yeah, <laughs> <exactly. laughs> <laughs> yeah so let's um let's get into talking about this scene because mm-hmm. i i've got a feeling we're gonna have a lot to to say uh part two continued because we uh we spoke about the kind of first half of this scene last week yes. um but 
we've 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 still got more to say don't you worry so (laughs) (laughs) oh boy so um for everyone who is following along at home the timestamp of this scene is from 12 minutes and 53 seconds to 13 minutes and 35 seconds that's right people it's less than a minute um so (laughs) it basically starts uh right from when the medical inspector says that he was wrong and goes up to uh, when the ferry is kind of backing backing up to the mainland again, um, just before it kind of like cuts away to the beach, which is our next scene. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it over to you first, Andy, as our as our esteemed guest. So w- any kind of like first observations about this scene, or yeah, just what it is you kind of love about this moment so much that you want to talk about? Yeah, so it was kind of like the first moment I my mind jumped to when I saw you kind of calling out for people to come in to talk about scenes for the podcast and mainly because and like mj said last week it's just it's one of the most like perfect moments from the first half of the film that really gets like lays down all the groundwork of the kind of tensions that exist between uh particularly brody and vaughn Mm. and particularly in this half of this scene it's all about this kind of chain of persuasion all falling back until it's kind of boiled down to just Vaughn directly talking with Brody and trying to influence him and, and get in his head basically and using his like kind of political influence and his influence as being somebody from there to really uh, bend his arm to his thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you start to see that kind of like tear away of the chain of persuasion with the doctor. There's this kind of sense right from the start of this part that we're going from he said his bit that larry and meadows the journalist need him to say and they just kind of tear him away and kind of push him out and he just willingly sort of turns away and hangs his head in what i suspect is a bit of shame as well for being a trained doctor who's having to like as you kind of speculated last week that maybe there's been some money involved that's forced him to surely go against his better judgment as a healthcare professional and Mm. essentially lie to the chief of police in order to with this driven by this kind of misplaced sense of loyalty to what is best for the island Mm. yeah there's a there's a real change in power dynamic it feels like in in this part of the scene so we spoke a lot uh previously about where the characters are positioned and that kind of intimidating Mm -hmm. body language Mm -hmm. as well that they have going on and we see a bit more movement in in this half of the scene so the boat itself is moving and and you know because it's going across to the other side um but also the characters move around so andy as you said like once the medical inspector has kind of said his piece he walks away and then it is left with larry and harry talking i love saying those names together larry and harry <laughs> <laughs> i want to speculate that the medical inspector is called gary or something yeah. <laughs> gary, we can larry, fill in that gap oh, yeah, that's my, fine they're my favorite vaudeville uh comedy trio <laughs> yeah larry harry and gary welcome to the stage um yeah and then it's it's just down to those two and actually there's a very interesting i don't know if you guys picked up on it at all um a switch in what harry says it's very very subtle but in the i did cheat a little bit and go back and watch some of last week's scene so when they're kind of talking about the possibility of it being a shark um harry says 
something along the lines of oh we've we've never had that kind of trouble in these waters and Mm -hmm. then as the scene progresses um larry kind of talks to brody like he's telling a story he's sort of you know the summer girl goes out swimming she she tires she goes out too far um and then uh harry interrupts at that point and is like it's happened before so it's really interesting how he's mm. like quick to say like yeah you know, he's got one line in this thing and he's gonna say it <laughs> yeah exactly he's got his party line and he's sticking to it it's you know we've never we've never had a shark but this thing this has definitely happened and um he seems like a real slimy character in, mm. in this scene. And there's another great moment with him later on, which I'm excited to get to. But yeah, the the the, the shift in this scene is very interesting. And I think as well, as it gets towards the end of this moment, the camera really kind of like closes in on Brody and Larry. Yeah. But there's also this really great moment where just as he's kind of delivering his like final line which is that really iconic uh we'll we'll have a panic on our hands on the 4th of july both the medical inspector and harry are in the background but they like turn to look at the at the conversation at almost the exact same time and i've never noticed before and when you see it it's super creepy because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're I like it's that yeah, it's like a horror film. It's like they just yeah. turn around, like, it, yeah. I just found it so weird, because that is, like, the first time that, like, Vaughn's p- pulled Brody right into the camera, further yeah. isolating themselves from, like, the rest of them, and putting more of a pressure on Brody, and then you just you do just for a split second see everyone else in the background deliberately turning their backs on the conversation, and, of course, the whole situation as it is, that that's literally what they're doing, turning their back on the evidence that is in front of them mm-hmm. and i cut i it might be me slightly reading a bit too much in the timing but i feel like the only time that they all slightly turn around is when larry vaughan says um you yell barracuda huh what you yell <laughs> shark and i think it's when he says shark all their heads kind of twitch and turn a bit so that was a detail that i haven't really like fully acknowledged before that kind of came out looking at it a bit deeper for for this intent. So I had an observation about that moment in particular. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to the level of analysis we've been doing, I think, the whole uh, series. <laughs> and this goes back to an observation from the very first episode, um, which we have gotten in a little bit of trouble for. Uh, no. People don't like uh, our assertion about Tom as Predator. Uh, but Larry's acting like a predator here. He sees yes. that Brody is the weak link here because he's the newbie. And mm-hmm. he has, he won the whole crew gangs up on him, Larry, Gary, and Harry. And <laughs> they're, they're talking to him. And then Gary says his piece uh, and walks away. And then Larry and Harry and Brody move a little bit closer towards the camera. And... Harry says his piece and walks away and then just Larry and Brody come towards the camera one Mm -hmm. more time. He's literally separating him from the pack. He's put the car between him and Hendrix. He's literally being a predator trying to treat Brody as his prey and Brody's putting up a fight. You know, he says, "Um, I understand the gut reaction. Like, like, I feel like he has to be like, I'm a nypd officer like you don't understand like, who do you I, think you are well, it's, 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 i understand that 
I don't understand the dynamic of the island, but as much as I don't understand the dynamic of the island, you don't understand the dynamic of New York City in the 70s. And so, <laughs> you know, when he says, I understand, I understand the gut reaction, like he's saying, this is still not as, like, this is such preventable death. And I've been around so much death being an NYPD officer in 1970s New York. And, um, you know, he's he's basically saying like i i understand this that's that's why i'm in my line of work i'm here to serve and protect let me do that hmm. yeah do you know what that has observation has not come from nowhere mj i would like it to be on the record that in my notes it says predator and prey dynamics again so <laughs> yeah me and you, i've got vaughn circling page. in for the kill so we're, we're all on the same page here. look what a beautiful <laughs> moment this is this is justified uh calling people predators in this episode uh, yes. unlike, <laughs> unlike tom but another another thing that's interesting as well and where the kind of lines between what's happening in the film and actually what the film is trying to do in itself becomes a little blurred is Larry kind of starts going down the route of the fear and the panic on the island being psychological so the the idea Mm. and the notion and even just the mention of the word shark is gonna create fear and panic and that the idea and the notion of something is sometimes actually scarier particularly if it's something unknown than actually the thing being you know in front of you or physically being able to see it and this is an idea that the film plays with so much as well it creates fear from the idea or the presence of the shark we have not seen the shark yet we've not even seen a fin at this point like we have seen we have seen nothing of this shark yet we've seen what it can do and we've also seen this divide now coming between the powers in amity so we're starting to see the the effects obviously of what the shark can do to a person in chrissy and also what it can do to a society Mm -hmm. in terms of it being the thing that creates and generates this fear so i find that very interesting as well I'm, i'm not sure i've ever grasped quite as as strongly onto that line before but larry when he's like it's all psychological and then kind of goes into this whole talk about the you know the barracuda and the shark and that comparison and i just think that's a very it's a very clever and very subtle line of dialogue that very neatly says what the film is is doing as well and i i really liked that (laughs) yeah it's also quite like a good example of like you get you don't like larry vaughan in this instance because like you say we're privy to the information that the shark is a real mean mean killer out there and they're just choosing to ignore it but you also get the sense of just how effective a politician he probably is because there is this kind of thin veneer of charm and logic and real kind of twisted reasoning to what he's saying that you can kind of slightly start to get why and and just the sense of intimidation that he creates as well so you do get the sense as to why Brody does feel like he is completely backed into a corner and can't like even if he wanted to he wouldn't be allowed to do what uh close the beaches and go ahead and they he just feels like he knows that they'll stop him at every turn at this point yeah and i think that's also where the 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 predator prey thing comes in once he gets him with sort of the 
the quote unquote kill line of we have a panic on our hands at the fourth on the fourth of July, the rest of the pack turns back, right? They turn yeah. and, and look at the at the kill of like, oh, this is this is done now. It's you know, it's time to eat, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and particularly like the way the scene ends which is like the first time it cuts since they get back to the barge mm-hmm. to for the wide shot of the barge coming to the other side of the river and may have warned us like okay you can take us back now that's all they were there to do that was literally just to completely box brody in in an environment on the water which we come to learn a bit later on that he's really not comfortable with um and like brody's going out there to try and like stop some kids going out in the water and potentially risking their lives but vaughn's just completely come with this like quite callous attitude of just go in persuade brody and go back we didn't even need to like there's no other reason for us to be on this barge just take us back we're done here <laughs> yeah it's very it's very abrupt as well like the end of the com- mm-hmm. the end of the conversation it's kind of you know we described it as like the kill line he kind of delivers his final like his final gut punch to brody brody has nothing to say by that point or he has been silenced and so kind of like weakened and worn down by the by the predator or predators in this case because there's there's several people who are kind of playing their part in intimidating him and making you know putting their point across um and yeah then you know once once that line is delivered larry's just like right yep done job done and it's it's left kind of unclear whether Brody kind of like stays you know gets off the the barge on the other side and 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 does go and and talk to the boy scouts or whether the the barge literally just kind of like you know turns down or heads straight back the other way but yeah I I, I guess minor detail but it's um yeah it's it's interesting like how Larry's position in the town or, or kind of the authority he has as well is is really hammered home in this in this scene and it's the the constant reinforcement i think of of what he believes and what he wants to put across and it's it's planting it's planting the seeds of doubt in brody's mind about what this could be it's not just one guy being like look don't do this you know there's several people there to back it up the person he thought he could trust because he got the report from that morning is now completely retracting his statement and is like you know yeah i'm gonna stand by this we'll change the we'll change the paperwork or whatever side note that made me think i wonder if they'll go back and correct the spelling error um in the, re- <laughs> in the report um but yeah i i i kind of put this point across last week and i'm gonna keep saying it i feel like a lot of blame is heading the medical inspector's way because yeah he has lied and he has said that he'll stand by it and also, <laughs> Brody kind of throws him under the bus a little bit because when Larry is just sort of saying, you know, like people have like a gut reaction to these things, Brody is like, well, I was just reacting to what I was told. And he sort of gestures towards the medical inspector as yeah. well. So <laughs> Gary, uh, as we've decided he is called, I feel like some troubles. I, I don't feel like he'll yeah. keep his job by the end of this. I fully agree. And like, particularly like, and Brody in like, like the little bit beforehand is like, and you'll stand by that. He's like just making sure that he knows that if this goes wrong, it's all going to come his way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I also think of uh, this particular scene. I know you were talking about it a lot last week in relation to kind of what's happening now with the coronavirus, coronavirus pandemic and how you can read into the way that the, these 
government officials are kind of dealing with the information that's with them and how they're going to react to it. Um, but also kind of like taking it back into the more co- the context of when it came out, it's one of these scenes that I think plays into how good of a 70s movie Jaws is as well, particularly one that's coming out a year after the Watergate scandal where the president has had to resign for the first time in like uh, political history in the country and there's just this complete distrust to sense of distrust towards elected officials and here we are seeing a scene in which um, the top elected official in this on this island is trying to change information and trying to manipulate the situation to his his will and I think that's just again as you highlighted last week bringing it back to our context it just shows how rich both the film and particularly this interaction is as well yeah uh I think that's a really good observation I've never even thought of it in you know the age of Nixon necessarily um Mm -hmm. although certainly I mean uh when did he resign Uh, 74 august 74 so like the while this was being made basically yeah um yeah i think this is definitely a uh i think that's a good read of what's going on i've always looked at it as sort of post i guess it it wasn't necessarily post-war but i feel like i've always looked at it as like vietnam era um you know just a lot of distrust and it comes out as the war's ending, right? Because the war ends in 75. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always looked at it through that lens of like, oh, I think this movie caught on because people just were kind of happy that the war was was over the, in Vietnam. <laughs> you know, I think that's that had a lot to do with it of like, they were just willing to accept this piece of entertainment on a mass level because a little bit of that anxiety had been relieved. Mm. Um. But yeah, I think definitely reading it as the way Nixon mishandled the uh, the presidency is definitely a way to look at it. It's actually a little bit more, and it's funny too because if you look at the movies we're making about, because I think the the closest, the most recent comparison to Richard Nixon is obviously the current president of the United States. Um, if you look at the movies now that are, are basically about donald trump without being about donald trump the way you know a lot of movies were about richard nixon without being about richard nixon um they're mainly about richard nixon (laughs) (laughs) so like uh like like the post um the Mm -hmm. spielberg movie with tom hanks and meryl streep um that's that's a movie about richard nixon but if you see that movie it is very obvious what was on everyone's mind as they were making that movie and absolutely uh I think that's that's funny that it's like it's not as direct or it's not direct in the sense that something like uh, all the president's men was very much like that happened in the moment, um, but it is very obvious. And I think with Jaws, there's maybe a level of, of obfuscation there where it's like you have to do the digging to get to not a lot, but you have to do some digging to get to the the nixon uh comparison mm-hmm. yeah it's sort of it, it's one of the things that just makes jaws kind of constantly relevant because i i can't remember if i've sort of mentioned this on previous podcasts but when this film came out there was 
sharks were kind of a bit more unknown than they are now he didn't have the sort of david attenborough nature documentaries and just you know advancements in in science and technology as well and just being able to know more about these creatures so it was both playing on that kind of fear of something being being unknown but it still it still translates now and even though the shark thing might not be as scary to audiences now because you know there's so many things to be fearful of now um but (laughs) that kind of distrust i guess and dishonesty of politicians is something that was relevant when jaws came out clearly as we've spoken about um is incredibly relevant now and i think will always be relevant sadly like it's it's just one of those things where there's always going to be those people in positions of power who don't handle situations in the best way that they should and larry vaughan is kind of the the poster child for for that inept politician not handling things how they should and what what always kind of gets me in this scene is how it seems like he is he is so on the ball he is being pragmatic he is being powerful he is asserting that authority but he is doing completely the wrong thing so on the Mm -hmm. one hand you're kind of like oh i can see how he would be elected mayor why people would want this guy in power because he clearly acts quickly and is doing what in his mind is the right thing but it's that us knowing and them not knowing where we're kind of like oh this is this is just disaster is about to strike and it comes immediately after this scene as well the scene that follows this uh, yeah. is you know Alex, Alex Kintner's death and mm-hmm. then it all kind of escalates from there but yeah this is we we mentioned it last week I'm sure but worth repeating this moment feels like such a turning point like the rest of the film kind of balances on this moment because like we said before if the medical inspector had not lied or if Hendrix had spoken up or if Brody had somehow managed to to stop Larry and and persuade him that this actually was something to be taken seriously the rest of the film would not happen as as it does so it feels like this is this is the moment when when things change and whilst there are scarier more brutal more violent moments to come in this film this to me is one of the more kind of uneasy scenes like it kind of just sets me on edge a little bit because it's something that we see in real life we see politicians acting in this way we see manipulation of the truth um people lying to cover up things as well so and i think particularly for right now it just it's just it's uncomfortable to watch (laughs) but still very entertaining uh that being said i fully agree it's like a death knell scene it because it is from this point on that like the floodgates are gonna are gonna be opened and like Mm -hmm. even if brody can put out whatever like small limited power he may be able to this is this is a point where there's gonna be this is no point of return basically yeah Mm -hmm. yeah there's i don't know if you guys read too much of um film crit hulk's stuff he has this idea that uh or if you guys know who he is he's a film critic that writes like hulk 
um, because he's, he's, he's like, he's like, this I think sounds exactly up my street. I don't know why I don't know about it already. <laughs> <laughs> he used to write just in all caps and in the third person like Hulk. Um, but he, he has since abandoned that. Um, and, uh, I, the, the, I think the reason is because he's kind of a high up in like the film industry and doesn't want to sever any connections. Um, by crapping on certain movies and <laughs> so he just has this layer of an uh, anonymity um anonymity there we go um <laughs> but anyway so he has this assertion of any any time a character makes a decision that they cannot turn back from is an act break he's so his his, his the way he defines the way an act works is any time that a character makes that decision. And he said that sometimes a movie can only have two acts. Like one one decision happens that sets the pace for the rest of the movie. Um, so by using his definition of the act structure, which by the way I think is weird, um, but by using <laughs> that, this is kind of the end of the first act. Um, so or even the maybe the second act because the first one is Chrissy, and then this is the second one, Larry paying off the uh medical inspector and getting um them to kind of turn on brody that's that's a turning point that we has ripples throughout the rest of the movie without this scene you know smile you son of a bitch doesn't happen at the end right Mm -hmm. like this is this is like you said kind of the death knell scene like this is basically the scene that kills quint if you want to you know extrapolate it that far out yeah i fully agree oh that's the thing to think about <laughs> sorry <laughs> just like going through the rest of the film and being like how, fatalism scenes yeah, how it would be different but um yeah i i don't know if you guys had anything any kind of like other observations about this scene or anything else that you wanted to mention i feel like there's there's probably tons more but yeah <laughs> um the, the only one i was kind of I had had in my notes was kind of comparing t- this scene to its equivalent in the book. I, I don't know how familiar either of you are with uh, the original novel at all. Have you oh, guys I've, read it? I've read it, yeah. Yeah, I've listened to the audiobook. <laughs> yeah, so the this Jaws is always my go-to example as well for when people ask the question, which movie adaptation is better than the book? I this is always the first the one I go to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's, a, it's a real seedy, dark piece of work yeah. that's a, like, Amity's just not this kind of clean-cut place. It's already got this quite nasty history. Yeah, it's, it's and, sleazy. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest changes from it, um, and there are a lot of changes, but one of the most significant is in Larry Vaughan and in how, because um, in the book he's... Uh, revealed to have these mafia connections and he's just like another small part of this bigger real estate kind of uh, scheme that the mafia have going on in Amity and that's why he can't close the beaches it's not this kind of more relatable sense of just trying to uh, of a kind of like uh, a need to protect the economy just because he is the mayor-elect there's this weird other whole melodrama to it but this particular scene in the book is interesting in its differences because it keeps it just to Brody and Vaughn they're in a small office and it's a bit more of a kind of like alley cat fight to see which one of them's gonna Mm. 
kind of win out over the other one's thought processes in this moment. And it, it's, a, it's a weird point to comparison to this scene, which is much more about kind of elegantly explaining these conflicts about kind of forcing the, these two characters in to a more isolated space. And while the, the book's kind of darker and it's more uh, overt stuff than what it does with Larry Vaughan, I do think the character in the film is so much more kind of complex to kind of get your head around his thinking, but also the kind of conflict you have with it as well, because there is a that sense of reasoning to it, to his way of thinking that you can kind of get on board with, which just doesn't really come across in the in this kind of more pathetic figure that you get in the book. <laughs> yeah, I think also too, it's one of those, uh, it's one of those scenes or changes from book to movie that I, I feel like it's, it works so much better in a movie. I think there's, yeah. I think there's so many, I think the, the, what am I trying to say? I think the, <laughs> biggest problem that book to movie adaptations have is trying to be the book <laughs> um mm-hmm. because they're different mediums you can't introduce this whole mafia subplot in the movie <laughs> jaws like it would throw everything off and i feel like my go-to example is watchmen if you guys have read mm-hmm. watchmen there's like it's like this psychic octopus that it like it shows up, but it doesn't really do a lot of actual damage. It does a lot of psychological damage to the people of the world because it's so horrifying to look at. And in the movie, they're just like Dr. Manhattan did. Like they just put the blame on Dr. Manhattan, even though Ozymandias did it. And so uh, it it's way more streamlined and works so much better in the context of a film to just be like, he's the mayor He's a businessman who has, you know, skin in the game here. And yeah. that's it. Like, that's all the motivation he needs in the movie. We don't need him to be this super dark back alley guy who's, you know, literally shaking down people like he's in Goodfellas. Like, this is, mm-hmm. this is enough. <laughs> we made the Goodfellas Fully comparison agreed. last week, didn't we? I think last week we said this was like a scene from Goodfellas. So, look, <laughs> yeah. we, weren't, we weren't wrong. Uh, it is much more like that in the book, yeah. I... I, I have a specific issue with the book that we'll get to uh in the scene where we have Brody and Hooper and Ellen um because yep. that mm. is that yep. is my big okay. issue with the book <laughs> yeah same yeah you guys know what yep, I'm talking yep, about yep. it ruins that entire Absolutely. character for me Hooper is yep. my favorite character let me just have my little rant Hooper is my favorite <laughs> character in the entire film so to do that to him I know the book came first whatever small issue <laughs> to make that be like such a big plot point in yeah. in the book is so horrible and it ruin it ruins that character but i just have to pretend like the book is a completely separate thing to the film because yeah it very much feels like that there is a a, a cavernous distance between the the book and the film and I think that they have merit in their own right, but this is, I'm absolutely on the same page as you guys and thinking that the this is one of those very, very rare examples where the film is is better than the book. Um, and I will, I will, that is the hill I will die on. Uh, <laughs> there are many jaws Everyone's just hills. such a yep. terrible person in the book. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no one to root for in the book. And then like, 
the way he describes the shark kills it's so mm. gross like it's just it's, it's really gross. off-putting and like it feels like it's reveling in these people getting like like almost like they had it coming mm. and it just it made me feel bad like it just didn't it just made me feel like disgusting <laughs> need like a cold shower after yeah, it. <laughs> it, was, it, was one of those movies, it was one of those times where I listened to the book, and then when I finished it, I was like, okay, so Carl Gottlieb did the heavy lifting yeah. in, the, in the writer's room here then, huh? Yeah, and related point, he is uh, he is in this scene as well. Yep. He, is, uh, he is Harry, so uh, not only did he do a great job of uh, the script and changing the entire story, but um, also pretty, pretty underrated in this scene. I think he's very believable as, like, a slimy newspaper guy, and... I just the way that he kind of sits on Larry's shoulder as well, almost, mm. and it's like it's you know that that picture of sort of like the angel and the the devil on someone's shoulder. In this case, mm-hmm. it's just a it's just a devil and a devil uh, with the yeah. medical inspector wearing and, anchor way suits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just just the two of them, you know, one lying, the other one kind of putting the the media spin on it, and no one telling the truth uh, in in this. And it's so interesting, I think, in this scene to see Brody, maybe for you know one of the only times, at least so far in the film, really kind of on on the back foot, and you are getting the sense that this is this is the battle lost for him. Like he is mm. he is backed into the corner. We spoke about how this scene is kind of like blocked out in terms of where they're positioned and where he is, and he has nowhere to go. He is at sea he is against the fence you know against the ropes if you will and has got these kind of three guys who are intimidating him and even just towards the end where we spoke about where larry kind of takes Brody aside larry is just very slightly forward i think so even then it just makes him appear bigger and kind of next to each other in the same in the same shot there's not too much difference in in size like larry looks slightly stockier but it might just be the the padding on his suit um but in in that moment towards the end when he kind of delivers his kill line he he just feels physically bigger because he's he's closer to brody um and he is closer to slightly closer to the camera as well so just getting that kind of sense of intimidation and yeah it's i i noticed as well like i i don't think it's particularly relevant to this but it just the fact that hendrix is still not saying anything as well but mm. i did notice in the background he's kind of chatting away to that other guy, chatting away to that other guy but he gets mm-hmm. he gets who blocked. is that other guy <laughs> well, we can we can speculate who that yeah. guy is. I, my speculation is that he is He's he's either like the money man or the accountant. Mm. Like he's the guy who is sliding dollar bills into the medical inspector's hand. That's my theory. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. was thinking he's he's some sort of like board of supervisors guy, like some sort of city council member um, mm. that is uh, kind of operates as uh, a lieutenant mayor to yeah. Because they they do mention the kind of the board of town select people, don't they? Yeah. Briefly, when they're reeling off a little before when they're reeling off everybody who you have to kind of go through. Mm. to get the kind of jurisdiction that you're talking about yeah uh so yeah we'll, we'll lump him in lump him in with that <laughs> yeah that's that's how i've always viewed that guy mm. um my last point is i know he's wearing it when hendrix tells him but 
I really like the idea of Larry being like, I've got to wear my most aggressive suit to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I fully agree, but also kind of want one. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a great suit. By the way, because I do a Jaws podcast, my targeted ads are absolutely ruined with just like the kitschiest Jaws stuff. And one of the things is a shower curtain that looks like Mayor Vaughn's suit, and it's the best. That's... I'm in the market for a shower curtain. So... <laughs> <laughs> I think, actually... If I got this right, uh, the guy who designed that, um, I know, <laughs> I know him on Twitter, and I think he's coming on the podcast at some point. So what? Oh yeah. my god! <laughs> MJ, take a screenshot of it, send it to me, and uh, we'll we'll confirm that. But um, I'm a, yeah, I'm so <laughs> when you're talking to him, my my size is a forty large. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah shower curtains all round, please. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> clearly, uh, clearly, your targeted ads know what you want. They are they've sensed that this is the scene we're talking about, and they're uh, they're providing the goods, which is a, a Larry Vaughan shower curtain, the thing you never knew you needed until right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's probably about it for uh, for this week's scene. Do uh, shout aggressively at me if there's anything else that you guys wanted to say, but. Um, just wanted to say a huge thank you to you, Andy, for being a fabulous guest, uh, bringing that island perspective that we that yeah. we needed. And um, yeah, if you have got anything that you want to plug or where people can find you on um, Twitter and elsewhere, then uh, yeah, floor is yours. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for having me, guys. I'm sure I speak for a lot of listeners when I'm saying I'm really enjoying this show and I'm glad I can be a part of it in some small way. You're doing a great job so far. Thank you. And that theme tune is banging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I write for a few outlets, uh, Film Hounds Magazine, Hollywood News, and uh, various other places like Collider and Jump Cut as well in the past. And you can find me on Twitter at AndyGodian93, or find me on Letterboxd at AndrewGodian as well, just to keep up with all the rubbish i'm watching <laughs> <laughs> yes indeed if i if i uh logged every minute of jaws i watched it my letterbox would be insane like <laughs> just, just the one poster going down <laughs> yeah we did say like uh, i think on maybe on like our very very first episode that it'll be interesting to see by the time we finish it our like letterboxed tallies like between us like who who has seen it the most who has caved one week and just carried on watching the rest of the film when they yeah. were <laughs> only supposed to watch a minute or <laughs> i've got one i have one that i have to do coming up i'm i'm doing a research paper in my class on jaws because of course i am there we and go. uh <laughs> yeah so i gotta watch it um to pick out what i want to talk about so i i definitely will have at least one by next week Mm, I, yeah, I I caved and watched the whole thing. Hey, that's a that's allowed. I think like for particularly for guests coming on. I mean, we're just we talked about it as like we're very very slowly unwrapping a present. But I think for guests coming like on, that. it's it's pass the parcel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's really helpful to like obviously see the you know see the rest of the film and and it's never a bad idea to watch yours either. So I encourage it. 
I encourage you to do it every week uh, if, if, if that's something <laughs> that you want to do and then your letterbox stats will be ridiculous. Jaws a day keeps a doctor away hey, <laughs> that should be on a t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> it's Jaws o'clock somewhere yeah uh, <laughs> shark cubs <laughs> yeah <laughs> Look, the merchandise will be coming thick and fast. And speaking of, uh, you can buy our beautiful logo uh, on a t-shirt or a mask or a coaster or whatever you want. Christmas is coming. Uh, Get your family a presence of a podcast they've probably never heard of, but you can be like, it's great. Um, you can find all of that on uh, Redbubble. I'm now just picturing, <laughs> picturing people being given this like shark gifts for Christmas and then being like, what is what? this? <laughs> Why is this shark eating a clock? Yeah. <laughs> is what this is a happening? threat? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, if you would like to make uh, thinly veiled threats to your family this Christmas and present them <laughs> with something with our logo on, you can find that on Redbubble. If you search for podcast for a minute or um, just we've got the link on our bio on Twitter so you can find it on there. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Jaws for a minute. You can follow me at Sarah Buttery and you can follow MJ at MJSmith891. Um, MJ, did you have anything you wanted to plug or you can just talk about how great the theme song is again if you would like to? Yeah, uh, shout out to uh, my wonderful wife, Kristen Falls. Uh, she wrote this theme song that you guys heard at the beginning of this this week's episode and you'll be hearing going forward, not in its entirety, but um, it was too good not to put the whole thing at the beginning. So um, <laughs> yeah, she wrote this and recorded it and I told her, hey, you know this is just a podcast theme song, right? And she said yes and then wrote a two and a half minute song about... <laughs> the guy above and beyond yeah the, about the guy who says a what when hooper says it's a tiger shark and it's the most specific song i've ever heard and it slaps yes so, it does it's perfect <laughs> we so, truly yeah. love to see it <laughs> yeah andy you're one of the first people to uh to hear it you heard it you heard the pre-release i yeah i feel very privileged i've done something right in a past life <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, thanks to, to her. Thanks to Emil Antonell. If you want to purchase the song for download, it will go to support the cost of producing the song. Um, it is available on Phantom Stranger Records on their Bandcamp page. So if you go to Bandcamp, um, you will hear that my cat is eating food and that's the crunchy <laughs> noise you hear. Um, but if you go to Bandcamp and search Phantom Stranger Records, you'll be able to find it and download it from there. There's a bunch of artists from my hometown specifically, a lot of them I'm friends with. Uh, click around if you like anything. Um, Pat, the guy who runs Phantom Stranger, is a, a good friend of mine. And he's he's the one I shouted him out on the first episode. He's the one I pre-ordered my Jaws Blu-ray in 2012 from. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he became Jaws a good friend. Jaws bringing people he, together. He did this uh, uh, for us. Yep. yep friend of the show um yeah definitely go and um buy that i will be doing that also because i want to listen to that song all the time it's so catchy um i heard it a couple of weeks ago and i've just been like dying to get to the episode where we can finally put it out <laughs> um so i'm very excited i would now like to announce that i think we have the best uh podcast theme song i've not done the scientific analysis on that no. but I'm not going to dispute you. Look, <laughs> that's enough for me. I'll take that. Um, yeah, it is great. And it I was. Think... It, what I will say is, it is it, it was Lance Bass, and now it's us. 
now it's us yeah <laughs> sorry lads. uh we've taken your crown and we're not sorry about it um yeah if you have any uh feedback about the show as well or any questions or comments or you just want to tell us how great the theme song is or you want to send us um some more beautiful artwork of sharks wearing handcuffs um that would be great please send that to jaws for a minute at gmail.com we would love to see that if we get a few more drawings we'll try and do like a little contest or something and we'll give something away merchandise wise or um yeah the ones we've had so far have been very very funny so please keep sending those our way very good um yeah i think that's uh that's it for this week we'll be back um with another jaws minute or so next week um but until then it's jaws o'clock somewhere